Hi, my name is Joe Krug, and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I'm the CEO and founder of FinSuite. FinSuite is a Webflow-exclusive development agency, and we are now getting into Webflow products. Thank you so much for being willing to come on. We we spoke a little bit before um, about just how it was really cool to have you here. <laughs> and uh, I also want to shout out to my uh, my friend, uh, Francesco Castronovo, um, who uh, talked about FinSuite and um, talked about you specifically. And he actually uh, did a little impression of you when I asked him <laughs> what, uh, who were the people that he like looked up to and uh, who did he learn from? Because it's always interesting to hear the answer back from that. And uh, he said you, and he's like, yeah. And then there's these videos. And then he's like, hi, I'm Joe Crew. This is Finn Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so uh, it's, it's fun to, uh, I'm just blabbering. Um, it's fun to actually meet you. And um, I'm excited to get to know you as a person. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Yeah, I, I am really glad that I'm here. And I'm glad that Francesco connected us. And this happened through LinkedIn, which, you know, anytime I get a message on LinkedIn, that's not a spam message. It's really exciting. So you're a real person ready to make a real connection. And yeah, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Great. Well, uh, I guess the first question that I had was, um, are, are you, were you born in Hicksville? Did you grow up in Hicksville, New York? I did not. I went to high school in Hicksville. I grew up in Merrick which is about oh, 20 minutes okay. south of Hicksville. Yeah, because my whole family is from Long Island. Oh, nice. Where <laughs> from? Um, so it's, this is always like the funny Long Island thing. We're like, where are you from? Long Island. What part? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you got to ask. You got to ask. <laughs> um, my, my whole family's from, my, my, both my parents grew up in Dix Hills. Um, and mm-hmm. then uh, they went to Half Hollow Hills um, West. And then uh, Comac High School, my grandfather taught there. And uh, the rest of the family is like East Northport and and uh, Comac. So that's really, they're really like surrounding you. <laughs> nice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and that is a question that you always ask when someone says they're from Long Island. Where are you from? <laughs> and it's always nice to hear. So yeah, great. We were relatively close by. Yeah, it, it's really funny. Uh, one time growing up, um, I went uh, camping with my family. We were in line uh, and we, we started the whole Long Island conversation of where are you from? Long Island, what part? And um, they said, oh my God, what elementary school did you go to? They like, Abby Lane. And I'm like, oh my God, your mother taught my, my child. <laughs> and she's like the best person ever. It's, it's really, it's really hilarious that like uh, the world uh, um, uh, surrounds and uh, revolves around Long Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it does. And that's, that's one of the reasons I do not live there anymore. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed living there. I, I was there for 20 years or so, and I am not there anymore, and I will not go back there to live. So great place, but it's not for me. That's actually um, really funny because uh, my parents, uh, when, when they got married, um, one of the the top things that they said when they left uh, Long Island is uh, we don't have rules on how we're going to uh, raise our kids that are set in stone. We don't have rules on X, Y, Z, but I'm not going to live in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. I've definitely heard that before. Yeah, um, not everyone stays there. 
Have you ever heard of, of uh, Tim Dillon? Do you know who that is? No, I do not. Oh, he's this, he's this hilarious comedian that uh, he's from Long Island and he just has stand up on Long Island. It's it's hilarious. It's not always um, the nicest thing, but it is really, really funny. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to go see him on uh, on Friday. Um, I'm seeing him in person, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but yeah, I, I was uh, curious. I'm not going to pretend like like I know what it's like to live there because I, I grew up in Pennsylvania. But um, I was just curious, uh, what was it like growing up where, where you're from? What was it like growing up in Merrick, Long Island? Yeah. That's, that's what you're asking. It was nice. It was really nice. A suburban community uh safe it was nice people people are interesting uh, a lot of nice people and yeah overall very good uh the the one thing that i take from long island is people really think they are the best <laughs> i remember growing up and there was always this thing of, hey, we're from Long Island. We're the best. We're better than Westchester. We, <laughs> we're, we're not as good as New York City, but out of the suburbs, that's, you know, we're number one. And it's, it's a very elitist type idea. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but this is a, a sense that I got from there. And I think that I took some of that from there. I live in Mexico <laughs> now. It's a totally different vibe. But when I was there... I got a lot of that. Hey, you know, we're the best. We're the best. We're the best. It's kind of a joke, but it's also not really a joke. <laughs> uh, and I think anybody from Long Island will agree with that. <laughs> I think anybody with a good sense of humor from Long Island would agree with that. <laughs> it's kind of a crazy place, right? Um, like if you think about, um, I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm trying. I'm blanking out on the the beach areas, but it's just mm -hmm. such a crazy place because you're connected to the one of the craziest cities in in the whole world yeah. i don't know i i remember um having conversations i would go back all the time and i remember having conversations and it's it's funny it's like if you uh talk to somebody and said hey where are you from and it was on long island they would like <laughs> tune out of the conversation <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that can happen absolutely yeah. uh you know even going going to school outside of Long Island, sometimes you get a bad rep from being from Long Island. Really? Sometimes, yeah. You know, you, you go upstate to upstate New York and they have a very different idea about Long Island than Long Islanders, yeah. of course. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting place. It is. Uh, it, I remember uh, being told... Um, uh, growing up, when we would visit, I think I remember being told, like, remember, this isn't the real world <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> like, this isn't how the rest of the world is like. <laughs> I love Long Island. And uh, it's always a wonderful place to visit. And uh, mm -hmm. I have so many great memories of going there the day after Christmas to see my family. Um, mm -hmm. But when when you're thinking back to what it was like uh, growing up there, um, when when you were really young, kind of what were some of the things that you started having interested in first? Like your, what kind of things did you naturally gravitate to before you started thinking of, Oh, there's this thing called a job and a career and responsibilities. What kind of things were you interested in? 
selling things, selling anything. I could, I was interested in selling things from as long as I could remember anything. Uh, just, just the idea of exchanging something, trading something, selling something. That is, that was definitely my interest uh, before, before anything, you know, even before when, when people asked, Hey, what do you want to be when you're older? And everybody, all the little kids are, I want to be a police officer. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a basketball player. I would say, I want to be a businessman. I want to be a salesman. Hmm. Uh, that, that was my answer, which was not very typical, but that's just always how I felt. Do you remember, um, I don't know if you even would remember this, but do you remember the first time you realized that you could have a thing and then talk to somebody and that person could value that thing that you have and want to yeah. offer you something for it? Definitely. Baseball cards. That was the first oh. thing for me. Yep, absolutely. So I was really into baseball. I liked it from a very young age and baseball cards were very cool at the time. Everybody collected some type of baseball cards of my friends. And I remember people place a value on them. This was this much. Maybe they wanted to sell it for money. Maybe they wanted to sell it for a lunch, whatever, you know, anything. And I remember thinking, wow, if this has value, then I can sell it. I can trade this one and this one to get this one, or I can sell this one. And then I can use this to buy a new pack. Those yeah. types of thoughts. And it all started with the baseball cards. I was never, baseball was, wasn't never, bleh, words, um, baseball was never really my thing. I was super into like Pokemon cards. That was almost like more valuable oh, nice. than money when, when we were yeah. kids. <laughs> yeah, this, you know, I remember the basketball, the baseball cards before Pokemon cards. I also oh. like the Pokemon cards, but this, yeah, this was a little bit before that. Yeah. But yeah, that's the, the idea of these cards having some type of value that I think for a lot of people was the first idea of this is valuable. You know, before you start using money, before you, you, you make any money as a, a young child, you have this, this piece of paper and it's worth something. That's what you can associate value with. Mm. Do you remember, oh, this is going like way back, but um, were you, uh, doing that with money or were you doing that with like more cards or, uh, in, in like what you were getting in return, was it exchanges for cards? Kind of like what I used to do with Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. For cards or for money. Yeah. Cards or, or cash. Yeah. And so I don't know how much I, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't like remember any of the specifics. I don't know how much this was or like anything, but I do remember the exchange of the cards for money, the exchange for cards or cards, or even cards for other things, for for video games that you could go and huh. sell at GameStop, you know, like all these different things, anything that had value, I would go and try to get and sell to get other things. Huh. And so from, from baseball cards, I guess, what age is that? Like elementary school, middle school? Yeah, that's an elementary school. I, yeah, I would think maybe uh, second grade, third grade, really early. Did you have those um those white binders with the little sleeve things? Of course, of course, too many of them. 
multiple? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a hard I was a collector. I would buy and sell. Yeah, it was serious. And so um do you have uh friends, friendships that you've developed through that? No. No, absolutely not. Really? Yeah, no, that's I I wouldn't this was the first thing that I started selling and the first thing that made me think about this, but I don't see this as like a significant part of of anything. That was mm-hmm. just the first thing. I was, I don't know, third grade, fourth grade, very young. So it wasn't it wasn't like I was coming up with grand plans and strategies. It was just the start of it, you know? Huh. Interesting. Alrighty. So um what was your relationship with like the people that um you were trading with where I don't know did you kind of look at them at that young age like oh my clients my customers I'm a businessman (laughs) (laughs) no actually (laughs) that that early I would always think like I want to get a better deal than this person Mm. that was I wanted some angle on them like I I wanted to be the better end of the deal always now, fast forward 15, 20, uh, more than that, 20, 20 years later, I now know that both people need to be equal in the deal for it to be really good. But back mm. then, I only cared about myself. I wanted, mm. I wanted the best of, if I could rip somebody off, I would rip them off. Was it a feeling of, uh, I feel so clever or um, I feel so yeah. smart? Exactly, yeah? exactly. Like I said, when you're that young, you're not, you don't really have these really developed thoughts. You just kind of act, you know, if if I could make a really good deal and I could get this new video game that I was thinking about, I'm going to go do it. Uh, You know, it's, it's not like it, it, you don't really see that as really bad as a young child. Mm. At least I didn't. And don't get me wrong. I'm, I wasn't. I wasn't some villain going around like, ripping <laughs> people off with with baseball cards. That's this is not at all what happened. Uh, I'm just saying that that's that's how I I went into these relationships. Not like oh these are my clients. These are my customers. More yeah. like hey let's do a deal. How can I get a really good deal from this? You know, I had this conversation with my my one friend. Um, we were in uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And we were walking around all of the, um, the like giant houses and we were, uh, he, he lived in kind of a smaller house closer, like farther in, in town. Um, but all of these houses, as you're getting closer and closer to the beach, they get just more and more ridiculous. And we were talking about money and, and wealth and all that kind of stuff. And he was kind of talking to me about how it was kind of frustrating that it seemed so impossible to to do that like you look at the the cost of these these homes and stuff like that and, you're, and you, then you look at like your expected yearly um from the thing that you're studying in college and you look at these homes and you're like I'm never going to have that or I'm and it's just feeling defeated and then you see these people that are real people walking in and you have these homes and you're thinking like how does how are you real <laughs> Like, how does this happen? (laughs) And um, he was telling me that how he was feeling. um, And I guess he he felt that for a while because he like grew up there. Um, And I looked at him and I said, I don't know if I really look at it like that. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, when I look at money, I think of it as more of like a game. 
<laughs> like I look at it more as like points and stuff like that. And it, it, it seems uh way way more fun that way. Um when when you're thinking back to like uh making deals and and all of this kind of stuff when when you were a kid when there wasn't all of this pressure of things being so real, did you did you kind of look at it like that? Uh let's see. Not a little bit. Sometimes I would see it as a game. That's an interesting way to look at it. I like that. But I, back when I was younger, I was kind of obsessed with money. It was, hmm. my mom would always tell me that I was just obsessed with money. Huh. Uh, I always wanted money to go and do things like this idea of I can, I have this, I can do whatever I want with it. It's very appealing. So I sometimes, yeah felt this obsession to go and make money, which is not a good feeling. I'm glad I made all of these mistakes and like wrong thinkings when I was younger, because now I have a much different view on it. I have this view that it's just flexible and you can do what you want. And it's, it's fun. Like money can be fun. You know, you can, you can invest your money in fun ways. It, and that's very appealing. But back then it was more like, let me collect as much money as I can so mm -hmm. I can buy whatever I want to get. So uh, I think almost the opposite. You know, I think some people flip that around uh, and they have more of these fun thoughts younger and then they get a little bit more aggressive older. Mm. But I, yeah, I, I think it's very difficult to live stressed about money or always thinking about money or yet too concerned about money. It's just mm. there, let it be. When when you look back uh, on on kind of that age that your mom was talking about, um, do you think you have an idea, any idea why you gravitated to thinking about that and why why you were like so super interested in it? I don't know for sure. I would <laughs> have to think it's because of my dad. My dad was a very successful businessman normal normal success like everything went well nothing went really bad he wasn't crazy um he wasn't like ultra successful just like a really nice suburban lifestyle and he was really good at that i thought i think he was really good at what he did and i think i just naturally picked up on a lot of that as i was growing up naturally this is not something i was thinking about like I wasn't 10 years old or 15 years old thinking, oh, my dad taught me this. But I think he did do a lot of that early development for me in a business sales, that type of mindset. Hmm. Did you, uh, did you ever have any conversations um, like just you and him of, uh, I don't know, when you could tell that he was trying to impart some wisdom on you about that part of his life yeah yeah I do he did he did it all the time but there was one time where I specifically remember okay he's he's giving me information and I thought it was kind of annoying of course 15 year old <laughs> bratty like I know everything type mindset and I wanted to start a business and he said before you start this business, make a list of everything that can go right 
and make a list of everything that can go wrong. Two sides, mm. 50-50. Everything right, everything wrong. And present it to me. You know, tell me, make this list and show it to me. And I showed him the list and he he was like, okay, great. Now, now you can go do it. Now you've thought about it. You, that, that makes sense. And that taught me that actually almost everything goes wrong. You know, mm. everything in your is supposed to go right column did not go right. I think almost nothing went right. It didn't fail. It was still successful, but nothing actually went the right way. So I learned from that. Don't expect everything to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. You know, a lot of the time uh, when I think about if I got everything that I wanted when I wanted it, I'd probably be a very unhappy person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Because I'm sure uh, when, when I think about um, the most significant one, I was probably same age, about like 15. Um, and uh, I knew exactly what I wanted. I, I I wanted, I knew the car I wanted to drive. I knew the school I wanted to go to, mm-hmm. the job I wanted to have. Like, I was so set. I, I, I have this memory of going to my, um, uh, my guidance counselor with my mom. And I had this like lifetime chart of everything that all the jobs were going to have and everything like that. <laughs> and it was super, super detailed. And I walked in all confident. And I plopped it on the desk and the guy just started laughing at me. And I remember thinking, Again, like 15-year-old bratty kid, I was like, he's so stupid. I know exactly what my life is going to be like. And um, <laughs> and yeah, and I think if, if I had all of that, I, I don't think I'd be nearly as happy now. It was kind of, I don't know. I feel like a lot of your life is <laughs> um, uh, your choice and your effort. And then a lot of it is like, like you're joking yourself if you think you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. And that translates right to business. You know, I I answered that question when you said the first business advice, because everything changes in business. You have to be ready to adapt. You have to be ready to change your plan. Even if that plan was last week or that plan was last year or the plan was 10 years ago, you have to always be ready for the unexpected to change Mm -hmm. it, to do something else. And I think that's just a core, core business mindset, core principle. So what I'm getting from you based on, on the story, um, uh, and I can compare it a little bit to, to me at that age. Um, uh, it sounds like you were really interested in having your own thing in which you were doing a lot of the effort and work for when, when I was at that age. I just wanted as many jobs as possible. <laughs> and I wanted, I wanted to be the lifeguard. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be everybody's nanny and maid and everything like that. Cause it was just, you show up, you get paid, you, the, the points go up. Um, mm-hmm. But am I, am I getting that right? What right specifically? Yeah. So uh, w- were you, interested in like getting a ton of part-time jobs and ah, okay I see no absolutely <laughs> not I would not do it I never had a job not one really middle school high school college not one 
job. I would not do it. My, I, I started making money on eBay before you could legally work. So what? <laughs> I, yes, but before you can legally work in New York, I don't know what the age was, maybe 14 or 15 or whatever the age was where you could actually get a part-time job. I was making money before that age. So before my friends started getting jobs and getting money from that job, I was already making money and I was making more money than them. You know, they, it was minimum wage. So at the time it was six fifty six dollars and 50 cents yeah. per hour. And I was making way more than that. Not a lot. It's not like I was making a ton of money, but I was making more than six fifty an hour. And I didn't have to go to the yogurt shop to, <laughs> to stand there serving yogurt to people. My parents always wanted me to get a job, get a job, get a job. It's good experience. It's good, it's good experience. But I just would not do it. I felt so strongly inside to not have that type of work. So I always did my own thing, whether I was selling on eBay, whether I had a, an odd job, uh, whether I, I recorded music for a little bit. I, so many different random things just to make money and have fun and not have to work some silly part-time job that I, that I felt like wasn't going to be important to my future. You know, mm. if you're working at a yogurt shop part-time, I had the, the idea that like, what the hell is this going to teach me later in life? That was my mm. mindset. So I, I found value in doing other things. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you kind of like, do you remember here? How do I, how do I phrase this? So there are certain things um, in my life that I uh, are kind of like core principles. And uh, I've had so many times when people would um, just be so offended that, that I wouldn't budge on something um, when it was a core thing. And it's, I have few of them, but I don't know how to describe to somebody how deep-rooted that thing is and and how I was not going to do it no matter what. Um, and so when you were having these conversations, like especially with the most influential people in your life, which is your family, um, can you describe to me what that feeling was when you were saying, I'm not doing it? this is my life. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've always had this idea from a young age that I was going to make my own decisions. I was not a bad kid at all. I didn't like nothing. I did nothing really bad. I wasn't the best behaved, but I was not bad. So my parents were flexible with me. You know, if I, if I really, really didn't want to do something, they respected that. They also saw success. You know, they, I was making money. I wasn't asking them for money and I, I was able to use my own. So because of that, they, they accepted it. Uh, and yeah, I, I would say that I, I do like to make my own decisions. That's a, yeah. that's a trait about me. Yeah. I think that at, at that age, um, I felt like I was selling my time uh, because I would be doing these things. And I, I knew in the moment that they weren't important to later on. And a lot of it was um, uh, for scholarship 
ideas or possibilities or people saying that it would help my resume or whatever. Um, but I remember the, the thing that, that, that meant more to me than, than the money really was, um, like I'm, I'm very close knit with my family and, and, uh, I'm very close, uh, with, um, like the community that I grew up also suburban in, uh, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Um, and I felt like everybody knew who my family was. Everybody knew me in relation to somebody else and having these jobs, it was like the first time that the only impression somebody had of me was like a hundred percent because of me and my actions. Mm. And, uh, it's not like there was anything bad that was going on. It's just like, I don't know. Wow. This person really likes me like for me, or, uh, they think that I work really hard because I don't know. Yeah. I, that, that was always a a thing. Yeah. Nice. You know, I, I share some of those same concepts, especially early on in the, in this time period we're talking about. I really enjoyed making money on my own not going to another place where somebody was paying me money for doing a job for them Mm. where I could, I had an eBay account and I could go get an item, list it myself, ship it out myself, communicate with the buyer myself and be done. And that, that was just me. And it, it gave me a really nice feeling that, that idea that I was generating everything for myself. Of course there was this great, ebay.com site that was doing all of this action in the background, but there was nobody else involved. So I felt like it was mine. I I could own it. So a similar type of feeling, it's it's a good feeling to, to be able to separate yourself and yeah, have, have feelings of your own or have people see you in your own. Hmm. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have one sister younger. How, How much younger is she? Five years, four years. Oh, okay. Yeah. I have, I have a younger sister about that, that gap. And then there's another one in the middle. So I'm the, the oldest. (laughs) So yeah, there is, there is a lot of like, um, uh, especially when you go and do your own thing, you're the first one to like, Oh, I I have a job. I have, I'm providing for myself. There's nobody to ask Mm -hmm. questions, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that's, so how did you even how do you even start at 14? Like, how do you even think of that as an option that you could do? <laughs> I don't know where I heard <laughs> eBay from. I have no idea. But I remember right when I heard it, I said, I need to do that. Yeah. Like, that's just perfect. Because the early eBay days had a lot of baseball cards. Maybe that was it. Oh. Maybe there was some link to baseball cards. Maybe. But I know that when I heard about eBay, I needed to to be a part of it. And I was actually too young to make an account. Uh, I was, yeah, I, I, was, I don't even think I had a, like my own email account at that time. I was pretty young. So I had to ask my parents to make an account for me. And yeah, I, that's, I just... I really, like I said, from the beginning, I really gravitated towards the sales and the business, even early, early on as a young child. Do you, do you remember when you made your first sale of baseball cards? Definitely. On eBay? Baseball cards. I, 
I didn't sell baseball cards on eBay. No. So the baseball cards, the baseball cards, like I said, were really early. Like this Mm. is not a significant eBay (laughs) is really when everything started. That's when I really started thinking business. I had, I was a little bit older, so I could really form these thoughts. 13, 14 years old. The first thing I sold were bikes, bicycles, which was a really strange eBay sale. Um, I, I found uh, one of the things that I used to do was I would ride around town and find bicycles that people threw away, old bicycles, broken, tire burst, uh, bent, like anything rusted. And I would take these bicycles and I, and I would clean them up and then oh. I would resell them. So this was right around when I was given access to this eBay account and I sold like six bicycles to some person. And my mom came with me and we met this, this guy and we had all the bicycles on the back of the car in one of those bicycle holders. And the guy came and paid for all of them and done. Uh, And it was great. It was, it was awesome. It was actually before PayPal and it was before any kind of electronic money transfer online. So that was the days of money orders. The very first days were, were money orders. So this person either paid a money order up front and it was so great to get this first sale. And it was a pretty significant amount of money because they were bicycles, like vintage bicycles that I cleaned up for weeks. So yeah, that was the first sale. What was your mom like thinking about this situation? Did she find it unusual? Oh, hated it. She was always (laughs) nervous. She was so nervous all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, the internet was so new at that time that this, Mm. this concept of eBay, this did not exist. This was a Mm. brand new concept, selling things online and shipping them out yourself. So yeah, she was not a fan, but I, I'm a salesman at heart. I worked her into it (laughs) and she, she was okay with it. Um, were there, was there any negotiation between the two of you about this, this, uh, arrangement? No, no, oh. it, it was eBay. It was all decided on this person won an auction and actually came to pick them up. So they, he probably paid money order before and it was all paid for all through eBay. It wasn't like negotiation when he got there. And the uh, first official sale. And negotiation between, uh, between you and your mom about this? Ah, negotiation <laughs> with my mom. Um, no, I don't remember specifics about that. Mm. I just know that she she eventually became okay with it. Yeah. And and yeah. for any of you that doesn't know what a money order is, I didn't know what it was uh-huh. until I was uh, <laughs> in college because you had to pay rent that way. Um, <laughs> um, there, there, uh, you go to like a 7-Eleven or, or a convenience store and you give them the money in cash and then they give you a check. So it's like a check for anybody that doesn't have a, a checkbook or a bank account or something like that. So that's really, mm-hmm. that's really interesting. Yeah, I used to make daily trips to the post office. I would ship out packages. I would get any money orders I needed. And yeah. Were you the only one that you knew that did this? Definitely. Yes, definitely. Yeah, everybody else had had the job. Yeah, definitely. I I would think it's weird. But I liked it. 
uh, I, I've always liked to be a little bit different and not blend in exactly with everybody else. So it was nice. Uh, and, and it also gave me the opportunity to sell the items of my friends. That, oh. Yeah. I mean, that's like a source of source of revenue right there. Because <laughs> think about it. Now I'm a younger kid, 15 years old, and I have all these friends that have things. They have a PS2 or an Xbox or, you know, old video games, anything, old Game Boy games. And now I can go and say, great. I will sell these for you or mm. I'll give you money right now. If you give me these and then I'll go back and sell them some other huh. time. So, yeah. And, and that was great. It was great for everybody. I mean, imagine being a 16 year old and you could just sell your stuff like this and you have a hundred bucks. That's, that's great. And that, and now I have all these items to sell. I would have items. I would list items almost daily. Yeah. Almost daily. That's that's such a strange experience for a, like a fifteen year old kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't see it as strange. It didn't feel strange at all. It felt pretty natural, actually. Yeah. Huh. And so, back to the thing that you said before. What was the business that you wanted to start? Was it eBay or was it something else? With your the conversation with your dad. That one. That business was bill-operated breathalyzer vending machines. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Yeah, that one, that one was an interesting one. Uh, you know, I, I may not have ever mentioned that again if you didn't ask specifically about <laughs> it. So I was, what was I, maybe 17 years old, 16, 17? Yeah, 17. And... I saw this machine at a restaurant, at a bar, and you could put a, a bill in, take a straw, and then blow into the machine. And it would tell yeah. you your blood alcohol content level. Oh, okay. And I thought it was so cool. I remember seeing one and being like, that is awesome. I feel like people would use this. So I wanted to have my own business of it. So I found a provider of that machine. I bought maybe four units and I went around and put them in bars and people would put money in, take the straw and get their blood alcohol content level. And it, I, I had this idea. One of the things that was not correct about this was I had this idea that it would be used for safety, mm. right? Like this is a great way for people to reliably or maybe not super reliably, but some level of reliability check to see their blood alcohol and say, I am not driving home. This was the intention. Like, oh, you can get, you can talk to these groups and these groups and these groups who would be against drunk driving. Not used like that. This was used as a party machine. People would bet each other, whoever had the <gasps> lowest blood alcohol content level would have to buy drinks for everybody. It had the opposite effect, but people used it. I mean, I would go and collect the money and they, they'd be like, wow, there were a lot of people using this. There was like, there was a group of people that used it nonstop, nonstop. People are always using this thing, uh, but it was used for partying purposes. I'm sure some people used it for the intended reason, but mostly party. And this was on one of my things that will go right <laughs> list. 
And it didn't happen. It, the exact opposite happened. I would have never, ever have thought that. Huh. But that was it. That was the business. Was that the first time that somebody interacted with something that you created or made as, as kind of like an experience? I, I wouldn't really describe it like that. For me, this felt like the first official business that I mm. had. eBay always felt like a business, but it, it was more of a hobby. It was more of a healthy obsession. This, this breathalyzer concept was, hey, I'm forming an LLC here. I have a legal record. I am you know, I have official taxes I'm paying on this. So it, it, it felt like the first official business, uh, even though I was doing all these little other businesses before that. Hmm. So what did this, uh, what was your, your confidence like at that age? Because if I, if that were me um, feeling pretty independent, I feel like I would feel like I've got my my shit figured out or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there were a lot of different confidence levels throughout that, that project in the beginning, very confident, right? I make my list, my things that will go right, things that will go wrong. Super confident, get the machines, super confident. As I try to put them into bars, I lose confidence very fast. Hmm. Because one of the things on my things that will go right is that bar owners would love this. Like someone would see it and be like, great, I get to make a little bit of money and I don't have to touch anything. They come and I come and service it. I do this. I do this. I just give you one third of the money or whatever the, the cut was. And I thought it would be fairly easy to put these in, in bars. It was so difficult. This, this was like, so it it really was one of the more difficult things I've ever done in any business ever. Really? And it was get these damn machines inside bars. Of course, now looking back on it, all the bar owners said, no, this is a huge liability. Like I'm not Mm. giving, I don't know what, how reliable this thing is. I'm not putting this in my bar. Because now we're giving people the idea that they can or can't drive home based on what we think are correct results. People kind of said this, or people ignored me, you know, getting in touch with restaurant owners and bar owners is very difficult, especially Mm -hmm. on Long Island, because these people are not like, hey, I'm owning the bar and working in it. These are, I own this bar and I go to it once a month Mm -hmm. to, to check in. So I would... I would spend weeks of summer. Sometimes I, I think there was one summer I spent every day camping out in my car early in the morning to try to find this one bar owner walk into the bar. This this person owned like really? three or four bars. And I really wanted to speak to this person. So I camped out and I tried to get to this person and I got him. It was like, <laughs> it was so difficult, but he eventually said yes. I think he had a lot of, um, I think, I think he saw how, how much I really needed it and how much I really Mm. wanted it. And he was impressed with my drive and he had some empathy and, 
uh, he he made he he let me put I think two of the four machines in his places, which was now filled all the machines. Now all the machines are put in. So this was something on that list that I thought would go all right, and it was so difficult. I almost quit so many times, but I didn't. And I finally got them all in. And after a few months of that, it finally came cash flow even. My goal wow. was not to lose money. I didn't have to make a lot of money, but I don't want to look back on this and say I lost money. So I broke even. I was happy. made a little bit of money after that. And I was good. It was a very educational experience. It was a mess. It was very difficult. I didn't like it. That's why I work on the internet now. That's why I work on the internet. But um, that's such a crazy experience. You were just, it seems like um, you're a fan of the the solo quest (laughs) when it comes to these, these things. Yeah. Like I said before, it feels good. You know, it feels good to say, I made this. Uh, and then mm-hmm. that could be for anything. That could be for cooking, right? If you have a wonderful, delicious meal and you look back and say, I made this, it just kind of tastes a little bit better. You know, mm-hmm. you, you feel a little bit better about it because you made it. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, I take that in business that I made this. Even if it's not a huge success, it's not exactly what I think. I still made it and I'm really proud of it. When um, When I was in high school, um, like sophomore, junior year, uh, I was taking all these business classes because our we had some electives you could take. And I remember sitting in this business class and I absolutely hated it. And I was like, I want nothing to do with this because, um, what, what I was being exposed to was, um, it, it was almost like a meme, like a meme video where it's just like a, a man in a suit and sunglasses, like, entrepreneurship and it just fades into the background <laughs> or <laughs> innovation and I'm like I'm like it was literally like all of these different moments of me sitting there going what does any of this mean like why is everything so vague why am I just learning definitions and stuff like that and then it wasn't until I graduated college and started doing contracts started working with people that and I started reading books about negotiation and things like that that only then did I see oh my god I, I absolutely love this this is so fun this is like the best game on earth <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um you know I feel I had a lot of those same thoughts going through business school I think it is a pretty big waste of time to go to business mm. school. I I was super businessy all through high school, right? That's what we're talking about. And I felt like college was my break. That was my four-year vacation of business, <laughs> which I was actually going to business school. And then after college, then I picked it back up. And I'm like, all right, now I'm mm. back to focus on important things here. The business classes just don't apply it's not possible to, to teach what needs to be experienced live. I think business needs to be experienced live. You can talk about customer support as much as you want, but you will not be good at customer support until you do customer support. And I think that goes for most 
core business mindsets. So yeah, I, I remember going sitting in these classes thinking, when the hell am I going to use this? <laughs> like, when is this this definition, right? A lot of its definitions. When is this definition going to help me? And how does it relate to re- anything remote to what I'm interested in doing? Mm. So I was just, I was in college. I had a great time. I would never not go to college. I had a blast. Uh, but it it certainly was not educating for mm. for for real business and especially in the type of industry that we're in in this design development web type industry uh it's it's just too fast moving for for those types of classes and education when when did you decide that you wanted to go to college and you wanted to study business cuz i know that you said uh, since you were a kid and other people were like, I want to be a princess. I want to be a firefighter. <laughs> you said, I want to be a businessman. Um, yeah. So uh, when was the moment between um, it being this, this childhood thing to it being something, Hey, when I, when I leave Long Island, this is what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, I don't think there was much of a choice. Right now, people going to college, I think there's a lot more information about the pros and cons of college. At the time when I was going to college, that was not the mindset. If you didn't go to college, you were kind of a failure. That was like the, mm. that was the general consensus. I'm not saying that I thought that, but the general consensus in high school was if you don't go to college, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? You have no option but to go to college. This mm. was the, the mindset. I think very unhealthy type mindset. So it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to college or not going to college. I'm going to college. And there's just businesses, something I've always been interested in. Why would I study something other than business? And yeah, I, I, I think it was just a natural path. It wasn't a decision. But I'm glad, I'm glad that happened. You know, like I said, <laughs> I had a great time in college. I learned a lot more about being social in college, mm. which was a nice skill. Uh, I learned, yeah, I just, uh, I had great friends and a really great experience there. So I wouldn't change it for anything. I think it was great, but I don't think it helped me in my, my career directly. You were doing less solo quests. <laughs> yeah, right. Less solo quests and, you know, living with three or four other people. Yeah. Huh. Of course. Yep. Um, were there uh, things that happened through the, that four or five years um, that you feel stick out a lot in terms of um, kind of making you who you were when you graduated? Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, let's see. You know, I would take from college the friendships. Mm. In high school, I never, I never really connected with a group of people. I had friends, but I, I wasn't, I, I don't have any friends from high school anymore. 
I have friends from college still. And the college friends were great. I, I just love the college friends. So yeah, I, I guess the best thing was just friendship, you know, understanding a really good friendship and understanding what it means to be a good friend. And I think, as I say it, that's a very important business concept as well, that you need to have friends in business. You need, you need, if you have employees or you have a working team, you need to be friends with those people. I'm not saying you need to like go on vacation with them, but you need to be friends or it's going to be difficult to work with them. So I would say I took that. That sounds nice. I give college maybe plus one on that one. <laughs> uh, what is it? What does it mean to be a good friend? I think a good friend is somebody that you can really trust. Mm. That it's really that general. It's something comes up and you need to tell that person something or count on that person to do something. You trust them to do it. And that's a good friend. And that is, you know, you don't have to talk to somebody for 10 years, 15 years, unspoken, but you can still be friends with them. If you have that trust, if there is that connection of trust and there, I do have friends that I could call them up and say, Hey, I, need this this and this and i need you to do this and they would do that mm. so that's that's how i would define a good friend hmm. when i um just processing uh i went when i was um uh in high school and stuff like that uh, i think that i i connected with people more um when i went to college um, but I also think that I was also a slightly different person at those those two points in my life. Do you think that you were as well? Not really. Not really. I think I'm much smarter than I was back then, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, and because I'm smarter, because I have more world experience, I have a better, a different outlook on life. But no, I, I don't see myself as, as a different person. I haven't transformed dramatically. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at college. We're looking at, um, you're getting closer to graduation. The vacation is almost over. Um, <laughs> were you, were you excited to graduate? Not everybody no. is. No, I was sad. I didn't want to. No, I didn't want to. Like I said, great friendships. We had a great time going out, having fun. I didn't I didn't want to graduate. And because of that, I found a way to stay in college for another year without going to class. Wait, wait, wait. how does that happen? It's it's not really a good look if you go to college and then you just stick around the college town after you graduate, mm. right? Like everybody graduates and they're like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm going off and working here. I'm going off and working here. I'm doing this. And that's a good thing. That's seen as a positive thing, but I didn't want to leave, but I also didn't want a bad look mm. of I'm just staying here and, you know, enjoying the another year. I had some friends doing MBA and I had other people that were close by. So I, I wanted to stay there. 
So me and a friend started a business in the town, right? That's how you stay in a college town. You just start a business in the town, relies Mm -hmm. on the town. So now I can go and rent this little house still with my friends and actually start making money and do my post-college job right in college. So I stayed there for a fifth year doing this business. And the business was a student discount card that we sold to students. So me and my friend would go around to all the local businesses. It was a very close knit town. You could walk all down the main street and hit like almost all the businesses. And we went into each one and said, we're doing this card. Would you like to offer a discount on it? We're going to sell it to college students for $15, whatever it was. And most of them said yes. So now we have all the best businesses looking to support students. You know, we, we went in, hey, we just graduated. We're looking to do something with the college. We're looking to bring more students to local business. Would you like a discount? So now we have this card with 20 businesses and we're selling these cards to people, to, to our friends, to people that we knew. We, we knew the college. It was, it was fun and we were making money. So it was cool. Huh. And was it almost like, I'm imagining being in the town that these four years you were like, I don't, I'm not doing what I actually want to do in like, what does this mean? Was it weird to be in that same environment and being like, well, I'm finally doing something that I actually want to do and actually seems more real. Well, at the, at the time, I still didn't want a job. Mm. Remember in high school, I was anti-job. I'm not doing job. I'm only working myself. <laughs> so I had that same mindset post-college. I, I wasn't ready to just go out and start working for some company if I could do something myself and stay in college for another year. Uh, so yeah, that was, it, it just seemed like the right thing to do. It absolutely didn't see like, seem like I was taking a break or like not living up to my potential. It was cool. I was, I was really excited about this card. It, it actually looked super legit. It was me and my friend were like really happy with how everything turned out. Yeah. So I guess what, what was the end of the story on that? It's actually just the start of the story. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's the opening chapter. Absolutely. (laughs) We, we were doing so well in the town. We went to New Paltz in New York and we were doing so well in this town that a, a competing company in the town over couldn't get any of the New Pulse businesses because the New Pulse businesses said, hey, we already offered an, a discount to New Pulse graduates. We're not going to do your thing because you, you're not from New Pulse. We don't care about you. So they <laughs> couldn't go through their plan to get the New Pulse businesses. So they ended up buying out our card and all of our businesses. Wow. And we had just launched. So we were doing some pre-sales. We were getting all the businesses on. We printed the cards. And in the first month, this company comes in and buys it. Everything. All the businesses, all the name, everything. And 
they converted it to their their thing. So we had this card. It was just us, you know, going on Vistaprint or something like that and printing these cards. They had a mobile app. They wow. they had seed funding. So with their seed funding, they bought us out. At the time, it was really cool. It was a relatively low amount of money, but for one month of work, just graduating college, it was great. We were, you know, living very, very low, very low rent, uh, simple food. Like I was still in college mode. So like getting this buyout was so exciting. And we, we signed contracts, we got a piece of their business and I went on and my friend went on to do sales for this new business. So we converted our businesses and we started to go to other towns to sell in this app. So this was my natural first working for somebody else, right? Wow. I had this, I'm never working for anybody else, but this, this was like such a unique opportunity, right? Company Aqua hires you pretty much. They buy the business and you come on to, to work and it was a decent salary. It was flexible. I still got to live in the college town. Uh, so yeah, it, it just, it worked all around. And that was my first official job working for somebody else. what is your life? <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's a, it's a story. I've, I've had a lot of uh, interesting business experiences. Uh, are you private about the, the amount that you sold that business for? I am. Okay. I am private about it. Um, it, let's just say to a recently graduated college student, it's great. Yeah. We were we were super excited about it, um, and it, remember it was about three or four months of work, one month of being live. So doing wow. the math, this was like this was a huge payout for us. Uh, but you know, relative, we're we're older now. We look at money. It, it's not something significant. I, I wasn't you know taking vacations, like oh <laughs> let's let's spend a few months somewhere vacation. No. <laughs> You weren't in, in Spain or something? No. no, no. <laughs> so what did you learn from this this first job of yours? A lot. Oh, man. This, this may have been the most educational experience of all of them. Really? Because, yes, huge. <clears throat> when I joined this company, it was very small. It was five people or six people. And I grew into the position of head of sales. I managed all the sales, all of the, the businesses on the, the app. There were hundreds. Uh, there was at one point a team of like 12 people in sales and I was managing these people. And there were a lot of mismanagements in the business. There were mm. a lot of issues there. And I really learn best from other people's mistakes. Mm. Of course, you learn from doing something positive. You learn from succeeding in something. But I think you can learn equally as much in experiencing somebody's failure. And there were a lot of failures. There were a lot of things that were done very, very poorly, very badly. And because of that, I really, when, when I finished that experience, 
think it was two years or almost three years, I look back on it and say, wow, now I know everything that I shouldn't do in my business. And now I know I don't actually want to work for people. You know, this was my official test and now it's proven. I don't want to do that. I don't need to do that. And now I have all of this new information of things not to do for my next thing. And when I was done with that, that transitioned into FinSuite. Oh, so that's how that worked out. Yes. It was a very techie company. Uh, There was web technology going on. There was mobile app development going on. Uh, And even more weird, it transitioned to a very different type of business before FinSuite. At the end of the business, we transitioned significantly and it was super technical. So I got an idea and understanding of technical is really interesting. There's a lot of interesting things in the technical world and it piqued my interest and a lot of things didn't work. Like pretty much all the tech that we had never fully worked. It kind of worked. It worked enough to stay in business for for a certain period of time, but it never actually worked. Mm. And I had this urge to learn it. Like it looks so nice, but why doesn't it work? I want to understand why it doesn't work. Mm. And that really motivated me to do website stuff. When you were at the end of that that two-year trial mm-hmm. <laughs> in your life, um, uh, you said that you saw that there were a lot of problems, but um, what was really the thing that made you decide, okay, this chapter of my life is over? Was it um, those examples? Was it kind of like looking at time and saying, do I really want to be here for a third year? What what caused you to say, I'm done, I'm out of here? <laughs> the business literally died. It was wow. completely done. I, I rided all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Uh, and actually, I went unpaid for over a year. Unpaid. I'm I don't know. I don't know how much we we go into this, but there's there was a lot of crazy, ridiculous things throughout that time period, and I went unpaid for a year, year and a half. I don't remember the specifics, and that was fine. That I, I was totally okay with it, and even at the time, I'm like, I really don't care. This is fun. I'm having a great time doing this. Right. That's number one. Forget about the money. I'm loving this. I'm learning a lot. I'm making friendships. Mm. So it's not everything was bad. There were people there that were true friends and really great people. And I wanted to be with them and do work with them. So yeah, there are pros and cons, but it ended because it was dead. There was literally nothing else to do with the business. It was completely out of money and everybody went home. How do you work a job without pay? How does that work? (laughs) Well, I did have a little bit of savings from the eBay days. Mm. I'm always conscious of making sure that I have enough money for myself financially. So that was okay. Also, I was still in college mode for all of the beginning (laughs) of getting paid. 
and I really didn't use a lot of the money. So I, I was saving a lot of the money in the early days of the company. And when I, I might volunteered to not go paid volunteered to go unpaid. I was okay with that. Mm. Left that, that opportunity with a little bit of debt, super manageable, no problem. Uh, but yeah, that it, it just, it didn't feel wrong at all. It felt like the right thing to do. Do you think that if that company didn't go under, you would still be working there? Um, you know, it's hard to answer that because I cannot imagine it succeeding. Mm, Looking back on it at the time, of course, I thought absolutely there's a big chance to succeed here, but looking back on it with a better mindset, seeing everything from a big picture, I just, there's no way that it was going to succeed. So no, I can't see myself working there because it, it wouldn't be possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Would we, you want to hear something uh, funny? Yes. Okay. So we were doing the, the coupons, the discounts for college students. And we got to a point where we decided this was not working anymore. We transitioned to a whole different business. Same people, literally transition, new business. So we went from this app with coupons to Bluetooth tracking systems for car dealerships. Crazy. I know. How? 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 (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's um, (laughs) a big shift, right? There were... There were some people in there that were technical developers. They were interested in the technology. The one of the people there had a lot of connections with car dealerships Mm. and everybody there loved cars. I'm not a car person, but it was like a car people company. (laughs) So there was a lot of interest in these cars and we had the right talent to make this thing. And we made these giant Bluetooth antennas and we gave every car key a little Bluetooth tracker. Mm. This stuff is like is kind of more common now, but at the time this was pretty new. This was not really a thing. Mm. And we put these antennas all throughout the car dealership to track keys when they're lost. Oh. In dealerships, there is a big, big hole in lost car keys. You lose a pair of Mercedes car keys, that's 300 bucks, 400 bucks. It's expensive. So we're trying to limit that cost with a tracking system, a mobile app where you can actually walk in the car lot and hot cold where the keys are. And believe it or not, this thing worked. It actually worked. We we came up with this with no money. We We were all living in the same house. It was six people all in the same house. And we actually put this thing in a car dealership. And it worked, but it didn't work reliably. It worked like 70% of the time or 60% of the time. And we could not figure out why it didn't work the other times. And because of that, it was unusable. So the whole thing went under. And I was, I was like really getting into the tech at that point, right? This is a really technical thing. And there's six people with the company. So naturally I'm really close to this, these technical talks and this, this information, this hardware, there's software. And it was so interesting. And we didn't have anybody to make websites 
for the things we were doing. We didn't have any money. So I said, let me learn WordPress. Let me, ah. let me like put together these landing pages so we can market this technology that we're trying to sell. So that's how all that started. I was interested in the tech. I needed to make the website out of necessity. And that, yeah, that, that was really the start of websites for me. Crazy. It's, it just, how? the story just doesn't, it's, it's really unique. It doesn't, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's really unique. When, when I see stuff like that, um, being able to track stuff like that and, and having these things in your phone, um, I get, it's really exciting <laughs> to, <laughs> to be able to think of this concept, put it together um, with, with words and numbers and weird characters, mm-hmm. and then have it actually work. It kind of feels um, like the closest thing to, to, to magic outside of medicine. <laughs> when when you were involved in this kind of stuff uh how did you feel about it I really enjoyed it it was really fun uh at, this was this was now 8 years ago from the time of this this podcast so at that time this was brand new tech this wasn't really out so we felt like we were innovating like serious in- innovation so this was really exciting. I woke up, woke up every day ready to test, ready to, to run, yeah, test pretty much. I, every day I was testing, giving information, redesigning the app, redesigning the, the website, everything. So yeah, it was exciting. That's why the money didn't matter and the, some of the things that weren't happening very well with the company didn't matter because it was super fun. I have to tell you, um, I uh, rented a car for the first time last weekend, <laughs> and uh, I I'm a big UX uh, fan, and I, I always think it's so cool when when things are are so seamless and work how they're supposed to, especially in ways that you don't expect. Um, and I used Zipcar, and the I, the I rented the car, um, went to the little um, parking garage where it was in i put in the code went down there and then they said uh, um that i could make the car honk from my phone <laughs> and i did <laughs> and i was just down there with my boyfriend just giggling that we could make this car honk from my phone <laughs> and you could unlock it from your phone and and all of this kind of stuff and it was using bluetooth and i thought that was the the coolest thing ever and when i find things that are cool or people i find interesting um i i go and find them so i found the product manager at zipcar and i said hey you want to be friends (laughs) (laughs) and she was like "Uh, okay (laughs) but but yeah i told her about the experience and how how cool it was it was i i don't know there's something about um uh things like that that are um i think the biggest thing is unexpected and uh Mm -hmm. and intuitive um, which are the things that are, that are the coolest. I don't know. I don't know if you ever used a car. I haven't. I haven't. I agree with that comment though. I agree. You know, it, it's very exciting to experience things like that, that you don't expect. No, I haven't. I try to avoid renting cars at all costs. So <laughs> I've only had a few rentals throughout my time and definitely that tech was not there last time I rented <laughs> 
That's cool. <laughs> that that is interesting. You know, I feel next time you go rent a car, you're going to get Zipcar. You're going to do that again, right? It was a great experience. You you enjoyed doing all those. Some people may seem may think it's silly or may never use that, but to some people, they can really put an impact on your on your decision. So, yeah, that's great. I love that story. It, it was. Uh, I, I think that lady was a little uh, confused why I was reaching <laughs> out to her. But you like it I don't that know. much? <laughs> I totally thought it was really cool. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I do stuff like that. I'm actually playing. I, I have this little YouTube uh, channel, um, not for the podcast, but for, for other stuff where I do video reactions to websites that I find that are interesting. Um, and so sometimes it's like 20 minutes and I, I post it. I don't expect anybody to watch it or anything like that. And then sometimes people do. So I was thinking about doing a, a video of when I use Zipcar again this weekend to go to that comedy show. <laughs> nice. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah, knows it. but it, it uh i think it'll be fun but uh um yeah car, cars are cool <laughs> <laughs> uh so kind of when did you uh did it, was it hard for you when the company ended um when it was something that you had really been so attached to no it did not mm it it felt like it was coming mm. you know we we were we were in trouble for over a year so when it happened it was it wasn't su- surprising or unexpected uh i i transit i transitioned just fine afterwards it was no problem mm. uh everybody in your team was fine um yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I stayed in touch with some of them, not with others. One of them's a really good friend. Um, yeah, I, there were a lot of people that I never want to speak to again. Really? And those are some of the reasons why the business didn't work out. Huh. You say that with a lot of certainty. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You as a as a business leader as a business leader you you can do really well or you cannot do well and if you're if you don't do well as a business leader your business is not going to succeed that's a fact it doesn't matter what business you have maybe you have short term success but long term success can only happen with strong business leadership so if that's mm-hmm. not present there's just no chance so yeah that that is why that's why i'm certain about it Hmm. When, uh, so to prepare for the podcast, I, um, uh, I, I binged a lot of your videos. <laughs> nice. <Great. laughs> I was, I was even, uh, uh, doing all my laundry and I just had your, your hacks on, uh, autoplay. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, one thing that I noticed that was unique about you, uh, compared to other people that I've even just talked to is, it seems like when you talk, um, you have a lot of certainty in your voice and you you speak really clearly and purposefully. Do you do that on purpose or is that just the way you are naturally? I do that on purpose. Absolutely. Yes. This is, 
this is a very mindful thought of mine to speak clearly and very, yeah, very clear. I think the leading cause is because of my wife. Mm. My wife is Mexican, English as a second language. So if I talk too fast, if I mumble my words, if I choose words that are not as friendly to a non-native speaker, she may not understand my message. Mm. And if she doesn't understand my message, then I have to repeat it. Or Mm. we have some misunderstanding later in the day or later in the week. So that's not, we don't want that, right? I, I really learned how to speak clearly, direct, right to the point. And I've always had that. I've always been like that. But once I found my wife, it, it was very mindful. It was something that I actually thought about and tried to improve on. Mm. So yes, this is, this is something that I really think about and I'm really passionate about. Do you like that? I noticed that. <laughs> you know what? I do. I really do. Yeah. It's really nice to to focus on something, not say it specifically, and then somebody notices. So yeah, of course, that's great. Um, uh, do we? Do you mind? Oh, yeah. Keep going. One more thing. I wanted to do this also because the content is difficult. Mm. The JavaScript content for a lot of people that don't know JavaScript is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? You see this, and you're like, "What? What is this? This is I don't I don't want to learn this, but I have to do this." because I need this functionality. So I need to make sure that I'm delivering the message as clearly and as simply as possible so that the person on the other end can understand what it is. So that's another part of it, right? You know, making sure that that end user uh, is, is understanding this seemingly difficult content. I seem, I think that part of that, uh, that experience that people are going through when they're trying to figure something out that's hard to to understand because really for a lot of people you're learning a new language um if you're learning english but you're learning a new language on top of that which is uh which is code <laughs> yep yep it's really a language and yeah um, oh it definitely is and one thing that i noticed from from yours and that i noticed from webflow university which was my first exposure was um just like this reassuring tone that was consistent. I think that's probably the most important thing when it comes to this kind of material uh to have more than than fancy uh um I don't know animation or anything like that. I agree completely. Absolutely. That when somebody's watching something that's difficult or confusing, I think the person delivering that message has to do it in a positive way. And you can even see in the hack videos, there is this almost unnatural positivity and happiness in those videos. And I did that on purpose. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to be so positive and so happy. Like you don't want to watch this video, but I'm going to tell you exactly (laughs) how to do it. And just be really positive about it. So I, I really tried to do that, especially in those earlier hack videos. Now I think I found a much more natural flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm much more comfortable with the information. I, I can speak more clearly about these topics. But definitely during those hacks times, 
I needed to deliver that message in a positive way. So the person was interested in the content. It's also kind of boring. Some of it, some of it's great. Some people love it, but there are some people that need to watch that content, but they find it incredibly boring. Mm. So how can I, how can I make it not boring? Just smile and be happy and talk in a positive tone. Cause at least you can listen to that. Right. For sure. I, I also know that, um, uh, I didn't realize this until I started doing a, a podcast that, um, some of my, my guests, um, will be speaking English and then some of my other guests will listen to that podcast. Like, yeah, I had no idea what that guy said. I'm like, really? <laughs> Cause to, to yep. me, I, I guess like, um, growing up in the U S you hear so many, so many different accents, but if this is a new language to you and, uh, I don't know you're Polish or something and you're listening to a guy with a super thick French accent, you might not have any idea what he's saying. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. That story I told you, the friend that did the discount card company with us, he introduced me to my wife mm. and my wife sometimes can't understand him because he, sometimes he speaks low and he speaks a little bit of mumble like this and not really explaining everything that he's saying very well. Yeah. And when you speak like that, it's very difficult for somebody who has English as a second language to understand that. So sometimes she says, Hey, what did he say? Can you, can you tell me what he said? <laughs> and you know, she is fluent in English. She speaks fluent English. We speak English all day. So yeah, it's really important. That's why I'm extra careful about delivering this super clear and crisp message. Can we, can we talk a little bit about your, your wife? Sure. And so you, you met through, and, and her name's Carla, right? It is. Nice. <laughs> I, a Good lot of research. research. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pronounce her last name, but <laughs> Carla. <Okay. laughs> um, uh, when, um, when you met, you met through that friend. What was the, the context of, of how you guys met? Because, yeah, I'll, I'll ask you why later, but curious. The context. Okay. Well, I had moved. Can I just tell the story? Sure, sure. Little, little intro story. Okay. And this will this gives the full context. New York's great. Long Island's great. I couldn't do it. I said, this was my last winter. I'm not doing cold again. I'm done. <laughs> and I decided I'm moving to Austin, Texas. Austin, Ooh. Texas. This was like five years ago, maybe. Yeah, five years ago, four years. And it's warm there the text there, there's people there, there's young people there, let me go. So I packed up my stuff, drove down, and I moved in there. And then my friend calls me up and says, hey, I'm going to Mexico for a month to visit my girlfriend. You want to come and split an Airbnb? And I said, sure, why not? I'm now remote working, right? I'm, I'm, I have FinSuite, I'm working remotely, I can support myself. At the time, it was only me working full-time for FinSuite. So yeah, I have no responsibilities. Why not work in an Airbnb in Mexico? That sounds great. So went for a month with him to Mexico. And that's where we were introduced, this one-month vacation. Wow. And it, it was pretty instant. When I know I want something, I, I go for it. And by the second date, I knew we were going to get married. 100% sure. First date, I knew that I knew I loved her. Second date, instant marry. 
I told her on the second date I was moving to Mexico. Creeper, I know. <laughs> she was okay with it. She was happy about wow. it. And I actually did that. I went back to Austin as planned. And I'd only known this girl for a week. And I packed up all my stuff the day I got back. I literally got back to Austin. And the first thing I did was started packing my stuff. Wow. And I moved down to Mexico that next month. And I even moved down here without having a place to stay. I met some people during that month and they let me stay with them. And I found a place. I moved into a nice building. It was less than what I was paying in Austin, but much nicer. And I just started dating this girl. And then a year later, we got married. Fast How track. old were you? <laughs> uh, 25, 26. 25. Let's see, I'm 30 now. We've been married for about three years or so. Not very good with dates. But yeah, uh, I, I just knew, you know, some, there are some things in life that you see or experience and you just know. It could be an idea. It could be a significant other. Could be anything. And sometimes I get that. And when I get that, I go 100% into it. So she was one of those. And I just, I went for it. I'm trying to imagine. She must be an incredible woman if you met her for a week. And then you're like, I'm changing my <laughs> entire life to be right yeah. here next to you. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, she is. Absolutely. What What is she like? What kind of things is she interested in? Well, she is a very, very friendly person. I don't know if I've met somebody more friendly in my life. She, yeah, just very caring person, just a wonderful all-around person. And I love spending time with her which is super important. So we just, we really connect on a lot of things. We like all the same movies. We like all the same music. We like all the same food, like everything. Everything is just match, 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 match. So just, yeah, it, it was a really natural connection. I, I, I was excited to hear this from you directly because I saw in, on Instagram that in your proposal photo that you said <laughs> I knew since the second date. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. I did. I decided um, on that second date, you know, and I'll tell you, man, this, you know, this podcast is getting really personal, but that's okay. <laughs> I like it. I, I wasn't really expecting this. I knew it was going to be more casual and more personal, but you know, we're digging deep here. You know, I think I made that decision. I will marry this, this woman when she said, there's no reason to get mad. We were talking about getting angry and getting mad. And we both agreed that there is no reason to get mad. That it's all your choice to be mad, to be angry at somebody, to, to be negative. That you have, you have the choice to do that and you can just choose to not be mad. Right? Either talk about it and resolve the issue or don't be mad. That you, don't, mm. you just don't have to be mad. And when she said that... I just done. That's it. Like I'm, I'm marrying her. And that was, that was it. Final. What does that mean to you? 
Well, I definitely live by this, that you as an individual really have a lot of power, a lot of power in how you think and how you approach decisions and how you approach life. And you can worry about this and this and this and have problems with this and have stress about this and have all these different things. Or you can look at it in a different way and decide not to be stressed about this or not to be unhappy about this mm. or take some action to change it, right? Sometimes you can't just say, oh, I don't like my job, but I'm going to be positive about it. If you don't like your job, quit your job, you know, either act on it or change, change your mindset. Don't stay in these, these types of bad situations. And when you're angry, especially at your significant other, a lot of it is because you are deciding to be angry at that person. Mm. Right. If something happens, you're deciding to say, I am mad at this person. Mm -hmm. Either talk about it and fix the issue or just change your mind and realize I shouldn't be mad about this. Like, what's the reason to be mad? Mm. That's how I look at it. If I feel like a person who says that to you is someone who also is very willing to talk through issues. Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have if, to, you have to do that. It doesn't, no matter what you do, whether it's your significant other relationship or business, you have to be able to talk through things. There has mm -hmm. to be this level of transparency where you can have a conversation about it because if you don't, that's when problems happen. That's mm -hmm. when your company quits on you. That's when your best person leaves the company. That's when uh, your significant other and you split apart because you have, you're not addressing issues. You're not talking about things. You're just holding on to this mad feeling and eventually it bursts. Have you ever noticed people who um, like to be mad? It's a weird oh, yeah. thought. Of course. That you enjoy being miserable and upset. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of those people out there that that find some joy. Maybe they're not actively like, hmm, I'm going to wake up and be mad today. <laughs> but like, they're mad and they hold on to being mad. And they, mm -hmm. they can stay mad for days or weeks or months or years mm -hmm. being mad. Absolutely, those people are out there. I can't relate to those people at all because that's just not me. From a very mm -hmm. early age, my mom would always push positivity on me. Positive, positive, positive. To the point where I hated her for saying it. <laughs> not, well, let me rephrase that. I didn't hate my mom. <laughs> I hated that she would always tell me this thing. Positive, positive, yeah. positive. But I'm really glad she did because now I've grown up and I'm a very positive person. Mm. And that really helps with so many situations. I I did that um even just today. <laughs> I I um I just got out of it of experience of uh uh being really uh strapped for cash, I guess you could say, graduating and then um all of the stuff happening and um my boyfriend's still in school, so he and he's also an immigrant, so that's tough to to work. Um and so I just got out of that and now I'm finally feeling good 
And just today I said, um, uh, we were, we were having issues fitting food into the fridge. Um, like we ran out of space and I sat there first and I'm like, wow, like this is my problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, you know, how, how jealous I would be of myself a year ago that like I had too much food to fit in the fridge. Like, wow. I'm so thankful for that. And that, that, that was just like today. And unfortunately, there are some people that will have that bad experience of not having room in their fridge and be mad about it for hours or for the day. And like, and maybe not mad at the fridge, but they'll take that anger and they'll transfer it to something else and something else and something else and something else. And they just had a bad day, right? Because they were triggered by the fridge being full and that was negative, negative, negative. So hopefully you got out of this fridge thing successfully. I see you're in a good mood right now. Yeah. I was pretty happy about it. I was talking about it. And then my boyfriend was like, why are you being so like overly positive about this? Like you're being so like, I don't know. Yeah. you can. I think you can always find the positive in any situation. Even something that is not the best, not good. I think that there is a way to find positivity in it. I'm not saying that every situation is positive. There are a lot of bad, terrible things that happen. But if you look at it in the lens of positivity, at least you can get something from that. You can get some benefit from it. Uh, And I think that's really important. I had uh, one more question about uh, your wife. And so I'm pulling up my notes real quick. Um, because I wanted to impress you. <laughs> wait, just nice. one, one second. Um, uh, oh, wait, wait, where'd it go? Who, who is Letty and Carlos? <laughs> <laughs> the, that's her, those are her parents. Got it. Okay. Those I was looking parents. at their, um, their website <laughs> for their nice. uh, <laughs> place. They, they are wonderful people. I like hanging out with them even when Carla's not there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how close we are. She could go away for a week vacation and I'll definitely see them, hang out with them, spend the day there. So yeah, they are really wonderful people. I, I was looking at um, the, the, the family run um, uh, hotel resort place. Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely beautiful. It is. Yeah. I have I had an experience um and uh I'll go into it really short um but I I met someone um when I went to college and it was a little bit of that like all of a sudden thing um uh he's from uh Serbia um so different culture and uh I think within the first month um he looked me in the eye and said just so you know um, my intention is to marry you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, I feel like, a little similar to your thought process. Yeah, with Carla. sounds familiar. <laughs> and I remember um, uh, I was thinking, oh, "What? We're we're uh, we're eighteen. Oh, what is going on?" And um, and then I had this amazing experience of he went home for the whole summer. Uh, and I was in Philadelphia and at the end of the summer I flew to Serbia um, to meet his family and do all of this stuff and then um, 
I bring this up because we went to this uh this ethno resort place that's what they call them there there are these little villages that are only like a couple of houses together they're on like the top of a mountain and you you you're there and then you go into this little um this little house that's just a kitchen house and then they feed you and then you just like go back to bed and <laughs> it's it's so nice and uh when when i saw that you had um an experience of like a resort type place connected to um someone that you loved it reminded me of that place uh, in serbia that i went to it was it was like just so special and to me nice that's great you know a lot of people leave the family hotel with that type of comment with this mm. this was so great this was i'm so appreciative of this i'm so thankful of this it's really nice to go somewhere and have that feeling. That's It's just a very special place. And I feel the same way about the family hotel. We had our wedding there. We lived wow. there for a year. Last year, we, we had no place to live. So we lived there for a whole year. Uh, we, yeah, it's, it's like a second home to me. So absolutely, a place can have an impact like that. I, I don't know. I, I just... Uh... I was looking at all the pictures and everything. I'm like, wow, this must be such a cool place. And if, if these two people are his in-laws, like, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Um, but, uh, yeah. What, what they did was they followed their dream. They used to live in the city in, in Monterrey, Mexico. That's where I originally lived in Mexico. And they left everything, sold everything. And they moved down here to Merida and they they started doing it. They started, they, they've always had this dream and they just went and, and did it, which is great. You know, like anytime you hear a story like that, somebody has a dream, they sold everything and they went and did the dream. It's great. It's like a, a wonderful story. And they did that during the time that you and Carla were together? It was before. Mm. They, it was already in progress. It was already being built as we met. Oh, wow. So you saw this yeah. like come to life. Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was there when there was nothing. How does she feel about all that? Great. Yeah, great. It's uh, it really is like the family, the family hotel, the family property. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, now that that we talked about all of these things that I had a million of questions about, uh, about Carla, about everything. Um, uh, let's talk about FinSuite with the rest of the time that we have. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, curious when it went from FinSuite to FinSuite. Curious about the uh, the way that you called it. Sure. It was always FinSuite from the beginning. Mm-hmm. The official business name from day one, FinSuite. But FinSuite had the hidden meeting of F and Suite. That mm. was always the intention. We're going to be called FinSuite, but there's this little side joke of F and Suite. And I started it. I always saw this as a side business, so I, I didn't really care that much about the name. I thought it was cool. I liked it, but it was temporary. And... I only released F and Sweet when I felt 
like the work was effing sweet. And that took, uh, I think, two years. So maybe more, maybe three years. No, I'd say two. It was Fin Sweet. Never wrote F and Sweet anywhere. And then we released the new website. And in the header, it said F and Sweet Webflow Sites. And since mm. that day, people were like, oh, now I see. And then people started <laughs> saying F and Sweet. So I, I almost see it as that name was released. Started mm. Fin Sweet. It was released F and Sweet, but we're always Fin Sweet. But when people say the name, I don't care how you say it. <laughs> I'm happy you're saying it. You know, you can say Zapier is Zapier. You know what Zapier is, right? Yeah. Huh. I also feel like you you made yourself earn that title or that name. Yes. F and Sweet. Yes. Absolutely made myself earn it. When where did you come up with with the name FinSuite? It's really silly. I told this I told this story at our company retreat a few months ago, which was also at the family hotel. Mm. And people were laughing at this story. It's ridiculous. It's silly. I really like dolphins. I've always liked dolphins. Oh. And dolphins have fins. <laughs> and sweet is a nice word. So it's fin sweet. And it has this hidden meaning. And the open bracket, I did not know enough about CSS to know exactly what that meant. I okay. saw it a lot in websites. I knew that this character was important but I didn't know the true meaning behind the open bracket, the, the icon of the company. This also kind of looks like a dolphin fin. <laughs> oh, it does. I could totally see that. Yeah, it does. So I had this idea that it was like kind of CSS-y, which I didn't know what that meant. And it was dolphin-y, <laughs> which for some reason I thought was cool to work into a name. Uh, I think maybe I wanted to use a dolphin character in the future as, as the, the brand. But that was it. It kind of random. That's it's not really at all that our company has nothing to do with dolphins and it has nothing to do with fins at all. Uh, <laughs> so it happened to be a really good choice and a really good name. But the reason it was created was very different. Interesting. And um, now, I, I don't believe yeah. I'm not a big believer in luck, but that was luck. I feel lucky from that. Uh, and I really don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work. You can get there. You make a decision. You work hard to get to that, that outcome. But that was darn lucky. Picking a, a company name, FinSuite, that has really transformed our company and our brand. Uh, that this name and the way that we use FinSuite is such a, a core brand principle of ours that, yeah, I, I can't imagine it any other way that this was the ideal name for us. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I was going, I was watching a, a whole bunch of videos and I was uh, looking at old interviews that you'd done. Um, I remember you saying, somebody asking you about how to start or what to do or advice or something, or somebody asked you, uh, like, like, how do I be you or something like that? And um, I remember you saying that uh, that you were uh, you didn't like the earlier versions of the FinSuite website. Um, and 
I actually went back in, in the Wayback machine to try to figure out what that looked like. <laughs> Oh, no. To figure out what you were saying. And I looked at the old versions and I was like, okay, it's WordPress, it's fine. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I kept on going forward. I saw the old lion where it was mm-hmm. the, the pieces that go like that, the rectangles. Mm-hmm. I saw that. I also saw the one where it says, wait, we're making the lion 3D. Um, okay. You yeah. didn't go back far enough. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this, that's not far enough. Uh, the the first few websites I made myself. I'm not a designer. Mm. I I think I can I can help lead designers into great designs, but I'm not a designer myself. If you give me a pen and paper, it's not going to look good. If you give me Adobe Illustrator and a mouse and keyboard, it's going to look worse. Mm. It's just not me. I've identified that. That's why we have just an icon as our logo. I literally couldn't make anything that looked better than just a normal typography character. So that's what it was. And those early websites, I thought they were cool. For me, with zero web knowledge, being able to make something like that was cool. But yeah, I mean, it would be funny to look at those. <laughs> I'm now, I'm now, I'm basically telling everybody to go and look at these old websites. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this, <laughs> but yeah, the, the early websites I designed. And then when we brought on a designer, that's when the line came. And that's when we really started getting, getting into a, a powerful brand design when mm. somebody else joined that was a designer. One of the main things I took away from watching old interviews of you was you saying with this certainty that, um, that you designing is not happening. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'll say that with a lot of certainty. It's, it's really important for people to, to understand what they're good at and what they're not good at. If you are not good at something, you need to make it, make a decision. You either stop doing it or you need to realistically see yourself getting great at it. Mm. Can I realistically see myself being a great designer? No. I've never been into design in high school in middle school. I didn't do art. I did music. Mm. I work much better with numbers and calculations than I do with a paintbrush. So I know this about me. I'm like, I try to do a little bit of design. I think I can get to the local business level, but I know deep down inside that I cannot design. I'm not a, I'm not like a, I'm not a great brand designer. As the primary designer, I know that. That's fine. So as you can see, I've super accepted it. It's like, it's, it's part of my character trait that I, <laughs> I should not be doing public design. And I'm proud of that because it lets me spend all this other time on things I am great at, like web flow development, mm-hmm. like, um, like leading teams, like leading people. This is, these are things that I'm great at. And I, I know that I can be really, really great at. So let me focus on these, not design. I remember hearing that uh, you say that with such certainty and I remember I was doing laundry and I remember looking up at the screen. I was like, what? <laughs> I don't get that. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because um, I think what you do is so incredibly hard and requires a lot of practice and learning 
And then I look at how I got to be where I am. Not that I'm at like the upper echelons, but uh, I think that I'm pretty good when it comes to UX design. Um, Got a job. (laughs) And I taught myself everything from like a couple uh, typography classes in college and mostly YouTube. Mm -hmm. That's great. (laughs) So you, so you've identified yourself as being really good at this, being great at it and maybe being really, really great at it. So that's awesome. You know, when you can identify yourself as that and go and run with that skill, that's great. And being self-taught, I think that's even better. You know, learning from yourself and, and generating the knowledge on your own, I think is way more powerful than getting that knowledge from somebody else. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess there was just a little part of me that was like, wow, this guy does so many cool things. And like, I don't believe him. <laughs> but maybe that's just a me thing. <laughs> but I don't know. And so we, we talk about what you're doing now. We talked about all of these things about you growing up we probably made some people in long island a little annoyed (laughs) but um when when you're kind of sitting in the now and you're looking up at like the horizon not in any linear thing of like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that because like we both established that um planning things doesn't always work out how you think it's going Mm -hmm. to but -hmm. when you're looking at the future, are there any things that you think you want to accomplish or you want to do either in in life or or in things that you do every day? Well, uh, the the thing that's right in front of me now is to to really grow FinSuite to its full potential. That would be that would be my top goal, I, and and anything else. I think anything else that I would want to do goal-wise, that would first be the requirement for FinSuite to, to reach its full potential. So yeah, that's that's what I see, uh, the reaching full. Yeah. Huh. Does that, does that make you very excited? It does. It really does. Absolutely. <laughs> There's, I think, a very bright future for FinSuite and... I am really excited to see what we do over the next few years. I'm excited to watch from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I uh, I will say this is a great podcast. This is like a, a really nice and unique, interesting view into people of this industry. A lot of podcasts, they're a little bit more industry-based, like talking the entire time about FinSuite or the entire time about Webflow. But this one really, you know, you're really breaking down the person. (laughs) I feel like after somebody reads this, somebody watches this, they're going to know me maybe better than most people in my life, which is pretty interesting. So yeah, I, I love this. I think this is great. And maybe from the sidelines, but I don't know if you do guests for a second time or other people, but I would love to for FinSuite to be more involved with with this, I think it's great. I I actually okay. First of all, thank you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I um I I do this um because and maybe we'll go over just a little bit just so I can uh tell you um that 
I started this uh, just because I wanted friends. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and uh i the thing that i was most interested in was uh was web design and web flow and stuff and um uh yeah i um i don't know i think it's really fun to really get to know somebody uninterrupted um because it's it's not something that happens a lot and um mm-hmm. i don't know and i do a lot of like obviously do a lot of research to give you a, a good experience um and yeah i think I've just received uh, this kind of um, conversation uh, at points in my life. And um, sometimes you get a lot out of um, giving to other people uh, what makes you most happy. So Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, that's why I do this because somebody did that for me once. And so it's nice um, to, recreate that experience for another person nice that was a great <laughs> mission i love it cool good for you <laughs> but um i i also always end the podcast with uh, until next time so of course the the door is is always open if you would <laughs> like to come back yeah that's that's very much okay <laughs> nice okay great yeah i'd love to we can get we can get deeper into <laughs> more of those ridiculous stories <laughs> <laughs> well the the way that i always uh end the podcast is um i if people really like you obviously they can they can google you and find out who you are but if people want to know me i can reintroduce myself <laughs> um but yeah so i'll i'll say my name what i do and and where people can find me and then we'll finish up with you and then we'll head out of here cool good plan yeah let's do it Awesome. All right. Well, hi, <laughs> my name is Emily Giordano and I am a uh, web designer, uh, web flow developer and UX person. Um, right now I am uh, working at MetLife as a UX designer and uh, every other second of the day that I'm conscious, I'm doing something else involving uh, web design or web development or podcasting or something like that. And um, if you ever wanted to reach out to me, either to be friends or come on the podcast, or if you have a project that you don't know how to um, make breathe, um, <laughs> you can talk to me and uh, you can find me at, uh, you can email me at emily, E-M-I-L-Y at greatdesignlead.com. Great Design Lead is the Instagram, uh, YouTube, um, my website, greatdesignlead.com, um, and the podcast, which you already know about. Um, and that's that's pretty much the, the end with me. And we'll finish up with Joe, and then we'll head out of here. Nice. Great. So I start with my name. My name is Joe Krug. And the best website to 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 go to for me is finsuite.com finsuite.com is our home for the finsuite brand and if you need to reach out to me if you have any comments about this this episode you could do that in email joe at finsuite.com try not to do linkedin because like we said in the beginning there's a lot of spam there i may miss it so if you write to me, I will check it out. Uh, and yeah, I would, anybody listening to this, if you listen to the whole thing, I would love to hear your feedback. Uh, positive, negative, anything, reach out, joe at finsuite.com. We'd love to talk about it.
And yeah, Emily, thank you. I, I want to thank you for this great experience. I thought it was really, really nice. So happy. <laughs> well, Joe, I guess this is just uh, goodbye until next time. Yeah, absolutely. Stay in touch, not on LinkedIn. And <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, talk soon. All righty.